Hey folks, this is Don Wilkins, host of Inquire. I want to invite you to check out our new Facebook page, Inquire. It's where you'll find our latest episodes, live streams, video cast, photos, and much more behind-the-scenes look at Inquire. It's the Mystery Inquire's podcast for community journalism. And stay tuned right now for the latest episode of Inquire. Within the first six months, Owensboro and Davis County have experienced six murders, the total number from all of last year. We're going to discuss these cases and how local law enforcement is responding to what is becoming a violent trend. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Mystery Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins, and with me is Mystery Inquire crime reporter Jim Mays. Hello. And a little later on, we'll have Andrew Bogus, who is the public information officer for the Owensboro Police Department, and discussing this idea of this podcast that we're calling a violent trend. And that has to do with six months into the year, six murders. And as I said in the intro, we had six murders the entire year of 2018. So if this, if this pace continues, Jim, um, we don't know if it's going to be a record number, but certainly a high number for Owensboro Davis County. I would think so. And if there's a if there is a trend, if there's a connecting factor in in these incidents, and we've had three incidents that have you know resulted in in six homicides, is that all these are gun related. Um, th- these are six gun homicides. But if you look at last year, for example, we had six homicides in the city and county. Um, one of those was DUI related, where there was you know, a crash that resulted in a death. Um, one was a, a case, I guess, of what you would call shaken baby. And then there was the incident that had to do with, it was a, it was a domestic violence homicide. And I'm not downplaying the severity of any of those cases, but none of those involved guns. So we've had, you know, of, of our six homicides last year, three were, three were other than guns, as opposed to this year, all six have been, have just been shootings, been straight out, straight out shootings. So I guess start uh, from the from the first murder case that occurred almost right after the new year uh, to the most recent one in early June, and then give some background and where these cases currently stand. I guess to start to start really generally, um, I would say that when we talk about six gun homicides, those aren't um, six cases where. Um, individual was walking down the street and is randomly randomly gunned down um i mean all these cases have a have a personal connection in there was there was a target there was an intended target i mean the shooter knew somebody was 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 aiming for somebody in particular we don't have a we don't have a lot of random violence and i would say that's true when you're talking about burglaries or robberies you know the majority of these things are you know someone is robbing somebody they know they're burglaring a house that they know having said that even though the cases didn't have even though they weren't random per se uh, innocent bystanders were hit um, that's certainly true last weekend on in whitesville where there was an intended target um, 
Mr. Brown is believed to have been the intended target, but two other but two other people who just happened to be there um, in proximity were were hit, and one of them was killed. I've always said, and and I've covered rural communities, and I've always said wherever there are people, there's going to be crime. Maybe not to the level or the frequency that we may you know that bigger cities have, but you see it. But then whenever you see it start to seemingly escalate, especially the 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 violent crimes that you see. And you and you and you have to think, or it at least catches your attention. Well, we have had a an escalation in in violent crime, or at least in gun crime, over the last few years. You remember last summer we had a, or last spring and summer, I guess it was. There was a rash of 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 shootings, and those weren't all at at people. Some were shootings into homes. Some were shootings into the air. We had a rash of gun crimes over on the city's west side. That was what prompted the police department to create their flex team, where they put, you know, a, a, a task force, if you will, of several other officers into that area. They did a whole lot of work. They served warrants. They did traffic stops. They, um, a lot of charges came out of that. A lot of guns were confiscated, if I remember, eight or nine guns. Um, so, I mean, there there has been a bit of a spike um, since I would say, beginning with beginning of last year, that seemed to died down for a little bit um, after the flex team did its work, but then we came roaring back in January um, with Audubon, Audubon Avenue shooting. Um, as I alluded to before, I mean, it was pretty clear that there was going to be a, a personal connection there. There was a reason someone went went into that house. Um, I can get into that a little bit if you like. Yeah, yeah, give us, give us, you know, the... the the background, what you know that you've been that you know from police and from reading public record, um, you know from the case. Well, there were three people living in the house. The house was owned by um, J. Michael Souders, but he had he had actually he had three other people living with him. That would that'd be Robert Smith, Christopher Carey, and a woman named Carmen Vanegas. What we've seen from the court records was that Mr. Smith was very worried about his about his safety he had exchanged messages through social media with a person and he had alluded that he had been robbed of and all this is in the story is he'd been robbed of drugs uh, and that he he needed to get that back because he was on the as late as the 16th which was january the 16th which is the day before the shootings he had sent a message to somebody saying that that if he didn't if he didn't get that stuff back, then he was going to be killed. Um, then, of course, he was the next morning. What we know about the alleged shooters, there was an Arnett Baines and a Siler Shimwell. And we know a lot of, we know what we know partially comes from the surveillance video inside the house they had in video in the living room. Um, and what the video footage shows is who we believe to be, or who investigators believe to be Arnett Baines going into the room with Siler Shimwell, um, and Baines immediately, you know, shooting Souders, Smith, and Carey in the head. They'd all been sitting there, some on the couch. Um, after that, he goes into a bedroom. Allegedly, he goes into a bedroom off the off the side of the living room. That's where Carmen Venegas was. She was asleep at the time. And I'm not sure if the video captures this or not, but allegedly he also shoots her in the head. Now, of course, Souders, Smith, and Carey were, were all killed. Um, Vanegas, 
uh, was expected to expected to make it. She she apparently had recovered, if you can imagine, recovering from a gunshot wound in the head. Shemwell apparently did not do any shooting himself. At least that's what I have been told or seen so far. My understanding of Shemwell's involvement was he came in with them, and he sat smoking a cigarette while the shootings took place. Shemwell might have had some connection with the home. He might have lived there at one time, if I understand it correctly. Now, one of the things one of the things that I don't know, maybe people picked up on this or not, but you kept saying video <laughs> picked this up, and um, here's a house that apparently didn't have any running water, electricity, but had a generator that was keeping, I guess, the electricity on. But for all intents and purposes, uh, would never ex- maybe expect, have, especially maybe video cameras, well, anywhere outside or inside, but inside the house that would capture um, all of this. Um, I mean, does that, I mean, w- the element of that is, is just bizarre in and of itself. I guess I'm speaking generally here, but really seems the, bizarre. The presence of of external cameras um, on on homes can um, this isn't true for every last person in the world, but but sometimes though there might be an an indication of of activity, illegal activity going on there. I know the the, the, the law enforcement has talked about that before as being you know maybe an indicator. That it would be strange to have surveillance cameras inside your home, um, you know. And like you said, there wasn't there wasn't you know, there weren't a lot of utilities there. Um, I think the, the there was a generator hooked up to the house, so but so there wasn't a whole lot of amenities. Yet they had had surveillance cameras. Um, I think a witness or a neighbor had said that he'd seen cars pulling up to the house and not staying for very long. Um, that could be an indicator of something was happening at the house as well. And so where where does the case stand right now? Well, Mr. Baines and Mr. Shimwell have been charged with, with murder, of course, um, and are facing the death penalty in those cases. The, the trial is set for a couple of years out. We're looking at 2021 as the earliest start date, and I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back just through all the all the all the pretrial motions and hearings and things that have to happen between now and then. Um, some of the things that are happening in the immediate future, I guess, is that Shimwell will be has been ordered to undergo a psychiatric exam at KCPC, the the state correctional psychiatric center. That's really not all that unusual in in cases, yeah. You'll see a lot of people go to KCPC to get get, get evaluated to see whether they're competent or not. I think he comes back for a pre-trial hearing later this month. And so we had this triple homicide in January. Um, what, the next homicide, when did it go down? The next one's one I don't know a whole heck of a lot about. It was March the 12th in the 800 block of West 8th Street. Officers kind of refer to it as a party house. You know, people would, you know, someone lived there, but you know, people would play cards there play pool, kind of hang out. There are two people charged. There is a DeMartes Thurston and a um, Talon Johnson. I, Mr. Johnson was actually in court this morning for his arraignment on the murder and the burglary charge. 
What they know so far is that a victim named Kevin Smith from Hopkinsville was, was killed in a shooting. They don't know why Mr. Smith was in Owensboro that night since he is his, Hop, his residence is Hopkinsville. The police aren't, really, aren't able to say if he was the intended target of the shooting or if he just happened to be there. I didn't, I didn't mention this, but Thurston's still at large. Um, they don't know Thurston's, Mr. Thurston's whereabouts at, at this moment. So then we get to um, this early June double homicide. Right. It was out in the county. And this here brought in the Davis County Sheriff's Department for the first time uh, with this shooting. So it wasn't in Owensboro, um, but nonetheless, these were kids who uh, lived in the city, went to, at least one of them went to the city schools here. And I have we have some audio uh, from the press conference um, where Sheriff Kane address the arrest of a juvenile uh, who is the suspect in the double homicide. Let's take a listen. Took into custody the 17-year-old juvenile named in a juvenile petition yesterday, charging him with two counts of murder and one count of assault in the second degree. At a residence at the 4700 block of Wembley Way. While this arrest is indeed a milestone in this investigation, much work is still needed. Numerous persons still need to be located and interviewed. And there is a possibility that exists that additional persons will be charged in connection with this incident. Well, he's charged on a, a juvenile petition, so he'll uh, 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 go to juvenile court and has to be adjudicated there. Uh, and then uh, it has to be uh, uh, remanded or uh, sent to the grand jury uh, for an indictment. Uh, that is a determination that is made by the juvenile judge. Uh, but it's my understanding, and in a case of this nature where a firearm is utilized, uh, it's a case that automatically will, will go. It's just a matter of due process. But make no mistake about it, this individual will be tried as an adult. Uh, but uh, from what we understand, uh, this was a party that uh, a young lady wanted to, uh, to have with, with a few of her friends. Uh, her mother was aware of it, was in close proximity to their residence. And unfortunately, several people showed up uninvited. Several people did. Uh, but even then, uh, uh, they did the best they could in terms of determining if something was going on that shouldn't be that those people were asked to leave. The party really didn't have any indications of being out of control, unfortunately, until uh, the shooting occurred. Um, the mother actually, uh, there's uh, information or evidence that indicates the mother uh, was actually getting up uh, getting ready to go out and, and ask her, her uh, daughter to go ahead and break the party up and she can get it from uh, In fact, the, the party, I think, was scheduled to be over at uh, 12.30. Yes, sir. Uh, and the, the, the young lady that was having the party actually went in at 12.15 to ask her mother if it would be all right if they stayed for about 15 more minutes. And unfortunately, uh, in 13 minutes, two people lost their lives. All right, so Jim, we were we were both there at, at this press conference, and what was your takeaway, you know, from from the press conference? Well, we didn't hear a whole lot that I would consider consider new. I mean, we'd heard bits and pieces throughout the week, but the press conference, if nothing else, did give you an idea of how, you know, how difficult the investigation has been. You know, they were trying to track down somewhere between seventy five and one hundred people who were at the party. Uh, a lot of those. A lot of those people, understandably, were 
we're fearful of, of talking to investigators as as you and I would be if we were at a party and had seen a shooting and then seen the shooter drive off. Um, others were, other people who were interviewed were, how did the sheriff phrase it, were less than truthful. Um, so that, I, that was what I get, I really got from the, from the press conference was just you know, how difficult and how frustrating the, the investigation had been over the course of the week, trying to get people to speak and trying to get them to, to speak truthfully. I'm not sure when the, when the juvenile's name first came up, you know, they, I can't, I can't really re remember in all the interviews I've done when I, when I first heard about a person of interest, if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, there was a lot of piecing together of, of statements and, and evidence and, you know, but, but by, by Wednesday, definitely there was a, there was a, there was a person um, that they were looking for by name um, there was quite the, I guess there was quite the manhunt that night when the, when the warrant, when the warrant was first issued, you know, there was officers responding to, to various, various reports of, of that person being here or there. You know, it was a, it was a pretty big manhunt and they were eventually able to track the, the juvenile to a house in Greystone Estates on Wembley Way, if I remember correctly. You know, and on Thursday, Thursday morning, or well, shortly afternoon on Thursday, was when they, they, they saw the juvenile coming out of the house, and he was apprehended by a, by quite the group of officers. They had the they had the KSP SWAT team there. They don't call it that, but it was the KSP SWAT team. They had the U.S. Marshals there, the Sheriff's Department. And they, you know, they were able to, to swarm him and, and take him into custody. Um, he, Initially, they said that he was in the car, but they said today, no, that wasn't correct, that he was, that he was actually just coming out of the home when they grabbed him. So the, the juvenile who's been charged here, um, you know, they haven't, well, at least the police haven't, they can't officially or legally release his name um, or, or photo because he is a juvenile, um, even though his name has been out there. I mean, they were talking about it, you know, over the... Um, over over the scanner, you know, or and on social media, so er, you know the, the everybody knows who's out there. But, but talk about that aspect of it, you know, when, when something involves a juvenile and what the Kentucky law allows in this in this instance, as far as names and identity and that sort of thing. I guess it has been frustrating for the public because, like you said, is. The juvenile's name has been out there quite a lot on social media, and, and I, I I did hear the hear the name Wednesday night a couple times on the on the police scanner, but you know the there's there's a difference between what the you know, what the public can do, or what the public can post on their Facebook accounts, and what the law can release. I mean, the law is pretty specific about juvenile cases; those cases are sealed um, unless and until the juvenile is first you know transferred from a juvenile court to adult court. And then um, is indicted, and only then, you know, after the juvenile makes his first appearance in circuit court as an adult on the charges, you know. So there's a whole lot of steps that have to that have to be gone through before a juvenile charged as an adult can, you know, his name can be released to the public. Yeah, and to be clear, state law only only prohibits law enforcement from from releasing a name or an identity of a juvenile, or even even 
previous criminal activity that he may have been involved in, um, it doesn't prevent the media or the newspaper. Um, we could we could print his name. We could put his identity out there. But we also have a code of ethics that we abide by, and that's one of the reasons why there's nothing legally prohibiting us. But out of out of ethics, and and we want to. Uh, I mean, I'm sure once uh, it goes through that legal process, and and if and if they do decide to um, try him as an adult, then that's a game changer. So, what is the process uh, that they'll go through to determine whether or not this um, suspect, this juvenile, would be charged as an adult? Well, in ju- well, juvenile court will make that decision. The juvenile court judge will 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 determine that. And there's a there's basically a checklist on that they look at when they're deciding whether to transfer a case. Um, you know, one of the criteria is whether a gun was used in the incident. Um, I think the juvenile's age also plays a role in there. I'm certain, you know, that the case was a homicide. That'll probably play a role. Um, I'm guessing that he's being that he's 17, you know, and there was a gun involved and it's a murder case. It's probably just a matter of simply checking off those boxes, you know, that are that are going to fit. And it sounds like it's a, I mean, nothing's a slam dunk until it happens, but it sounds like it's a pretty solid fit for the case to be transferred. So as a crime reporter, though, I mean, and you've seen, and you've seen years where we've only had maybe one or two murders, and then whenever you see this sort of thing going on, I mean, as a crime reporter, you know, does that, you know, is this an anomaly, um, or do you foresee, you know, this becoming, as we've been talking about, more of of what we'll see in the future, a trend? Well, man, I hope it's an anomaly. I hope this is just, you know, three three severe incidents and after that we'll we can maybe drift back down to those lovely years we had between 2012 and 2014 where we had absolutely no murders in the city at all i I don't know i looking at last year with the you know the, the gun violence we had last year you know looking at this i mean could this be the new normal could this be what evansville experiences every day i don't know um, I hope not. You know, maybe, maybe the next six months will be will be perfectly quiet. I wish I had an answer for you. I don't. And with me now is Andrew Bogus. He's the public information officer for the Owensboro Police Department. And Officer Bogus. You know, we're here to talk about this, well, violent trend, uh, six murders in six months. And I just wanted to talk to you about the concerns and how the Owensboro Police Department is viewing uh, what we're seeing now. Now, granted, the last uh, murder that we just had didn't happen in the city limits, but it involved those who were at least probably lived in the city. One of them uh, was a student here uh, within the Owensboro school system. And so so there is um, an involvement there that with the city uh, in that regard. Yeah, well, we have to treat each case individually, obviously. Um, and, you know, 
we have had six in, in six months. Um, and I can only really speak to the, the ones in the city specifically. Um, but, you know, and uh, we've had, obviously we've had six overall, um, but that number's a little bit skewed in that we had the, the triple homicide in January, where obviously we had three victims. And then obviously, uh, as you said, we had the double homicide uh, out in the, the county. So five of those were actually from two separate incidents. State Street. So um, there have actually just been three incidents, although the, the total number of victims is uh, obviously six overall victims. Um, so uh, obviously that's still a disturbing number, but um, you know, we, we obviously try to address that. Um, and like I said, we can only uh, address each incident individually. We obviously we are concerned about the the gun violence issue, um, and one of the things that we we want to try to address with that. Obviously, most of these incidents, uh, just in general, most of our uh, violent crime that's related to gun violence, uh, overwhelmingly, most of the guns that are used in those crimes uh, have either been reported stolen or they're they're not being used by the individuals that actually purchase the firearms legally. Uh, so one of the things that we want to try to do is to reduce the number of firearms that are being stolen. One of the things that we ask people to do that do have firearms is obviously to, to treat those firearms responsibly. If you have a firearm, uh, either take it in, inside at night, lock it up securely, you know, treat it responsibly because if we can reduce the number of firearms that are being stolen, then we can help reduce the number of firearms that are getting into the hands of people that are using them irresponsibly. Um, so that's one of the best ways we can do to, to help reduce the fire and violence overall. Um, I sit out there in the newsroom and you know we have the scanners going and it seems like more and more regardless if anybody is, is shot or, or, or injured but it seems like more and more we hear you know dispatch you know talking about it, shots fired or gun discharge something you know, it just seems like there's more and more gunplay going on, regardless of anybody's getting hurt or killed. I mean, is that something that you guys are, are seeing more of as well here in the city, uh, for whatever reasons? Um, I mean, you have know, you noticed I, that? Uh, I don't know that we've seen a significant increase in that specifically. Um, I, you know, I'd have to look at the, the overall statistics there. Um, you know, 2018 to 2000. 2017 compared to 2018, our uh, serious uh, type one crimes, which are your aggravated assaults, homicides, rapes, uh, our type one crimes actually went down uh, 2018 compared to 2017 uh, a little bit. So, um, you know, that actually indicates that our, like I said, our violent crime actually went down a little bit. Um, it's not a huge jump down, but it was, uh, down uh, about four, just under five percent. So, uh, you know that that indicates that uh, you know I, I don't think that we're seeing a, a huge increase there. Um, you know, and and those numbers do tend to vary a little bit from year to year. Uh, um, as far as uh, what we're seeing so far this year, I don't have those numbers right in front of me. Um, obviously, our uh, homicides I think are up a little bit this year. But like I said, um, we do have. The, the one incident on Audubon Avenue back in January where we had uh, three people that were killed in one incident, 
which is going to uh, indicate, uh, again, that we're going to have four, we already have four victims, but there were actually only two incidents. I guess, though, you could argue, though, that you see a triple homicide, and regardless how, uh, of how you view it, is that's almost as disturbing as if you had six separate murders, or three separate murders, you know, in that stretch of time, because you just don't see that sort of violence. At least, you know, I grew up here, and I, you know, this, you know, this sort of violence, I, I don't ever recall. I mean, yes, we would have a murder, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, that we didn't go without any kind of murders, and, and, and I don't want to paint that picture, um, that this never happened here, but, but triple homicides, you don't, I mean, that is pretty rare. It, it may be rare anywhere, but especially here in Owensboro. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean to, to downplay it in any way. Um, the, the only thing I'm trying to indicate there is that it, it is an unusual thing. Who are the people out there that you're, that you're concerned about and that you're typically seeing out there with the, you know, with the guns and, um, and who are you seizing the guns from, essentially, whenever you guys are making arrests? I mean, are they gang members? Are they drug dealers? Um, who are you running into out there? Well, I mean, there's not a specific uh, individual that we're seizing the guns from. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's not a particular uh, individual. Um, I mean, there is some uh, level of uh, drug component to it. Um, we, we typically don't have a major uh, gang problem in Owensboro. Um, but, you know, uh, like I said, there's not, a, there's not one specific type of individual that we have an issue with guns from. Um, like I said, it can be anybody that we, we come across. Um, but th there's not a specific problem that we have uh, issues from. It's uh, people out there that, that just uh, choose to, to have firearms and not use them responsibly and, and like I said, uh, choose to not obey the law. Um, and like I said, but there's not a specific mold. Um, like I said, a, a lot of times there may be a drug component to it, whether they're uh, dealing or uh, using or uh, something along those lines, but uh, there, there's not a specific uh, type of individual that we're seizing the guns from. Now, as far as when we talk about the number of, of, of murders, what do you what are you saying to the public? You know who may be expressing some fears out there that they see this as an escalation of, of violence, a trend. Six months into the year, regardless of you know you got three incidents essentially, and then six people uh, in those three incidents have lost their lives, and young people at that. How do you guys ease the fears of the public whenever they see this sort of thing happening? Um, again, one of the things that can say and, and again each each situation is different so it's hard to make a, a generalization um, but typically in uh, most of the the cases that we've had historically um, your homicides involve people that have a relationship with one another in some capacity whether it's a uh, friendship uh, uh, that they know each other in some way uh, you know we very rarely have a stranger type relationship uh, involved in, in 
whether it be a homicide or even a, a serious assault or anything of that nature. So most of these uh, type of situations involve people that know each other. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I, w I want to kind of go back to what you said earlier about the guns that have been used in these crimes. You said they were all, that you know of, all of them have been stolen? The, the, the majority of them, yes, that we've been able to definitively link back have been stolen, yes. And so, um, so they've been stolen, I mean, are, are they being stolen by people and then they're being maybe sold on the street? Is that is that what's going on or is the person who's stealing them is the, essentially the one using them? Well, and that, that's hard to, to prove. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of times the person that uses the firearm is not going to be cooperative in telling us where they got it, whether they purchased it or whether they were the one that stole it. So that, that a lot of times is hard to prove whether they're the one that definitively stole it or not. Um, but again, uh, securing your firearm. Uh, again, if you're going to uh, have a firearm, don't leave it in a vehicle outside overnight. You know, locking it in a lockbox. You know, making sure it's secure uh, where it, it, it's not easy for someone to, to take it goes a long way. Uh, there are a lot of firearms that we get that are stolen out of, for instance, uh, vehicles a lot of times that are unlocked. Um, it, it, it's very easy for someone to steal a, a firearm out of an unlocked vehicle, and we get a number of those reports every year um, that, uh, you know, those firearms are stolen and, you know, then they're, they're used in a, a serious crime would that crime have occurred if the firearm had not been stolen? I, I can't say for sure, but there's a possibility that crime may have been prevented if that firearm had not been stolen. And that wraps up our show for this week. I want to thank Mystery Inquirer crime reporter Jim Mays for joining me and OPD Public Information Officer Andrew Bogus. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, Facebook, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire. <laughs>